Welcome to the Teen Financial Freedom Podcast. Teen Financial Freedom is a personal finance blog run by teens who are on a mission to equip their peers with the knowledge, resources, and understanding they need to become financially free for the rest of their lives. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Teen Financial Freedom Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Rob Phelan. He is just an awesome guy that I kind of got to meet on a Sheik's Freaks call about a month ago um, and just was really um, excited about everything that he was talking about. So I wanted to bring him on the podcast today and kind of share or have him share a little bit about what he's doing and just kind of learn more about him. So Rob, how are you doing? Hey, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the kind words and I'm looking forward to chatting to you and your audience. Awesome. Well, the first thing I kind of like to ask guests is... First things first, I mean, what exactly is your background? Like, what are you involved in? I want to ask you some detailed questions later on kind of about each thing that you're involved in, but you kind of just want to start by giving our audience sort of a brief overview of everything uh, you're kind of involved in. Sure. Um, so quick snapshot of me. I'm a high school math and personal finance teacher in Maryland. So I still teach full time as like my, I guess, main career. And then my side hustles and other things that I do include a freelance curriculum writer for a nonprofit called Chooseify Foundation. I run my own business called The Simple Startup, where I help mentor 10 to 18 year olds on how to start their own first business. And then I just finished um, a Kickstarter for my kid's book. Uh, it's called Emma's for Money. And this is a book that introduces three to eight-year-olds to age-appropriate money words and normalizes conversations about money. Cool. All great stuff. So um, the next question I kind of like to ask is like, what was your upbringing like? Uh, what, like, did your parents kind of talk about money quite a bit or did you learn this, you know, later on in your life? Like, what exactly was the conversation like in your home growing up about money? So I guess nothing formal about money. Like if I asked a question like, Hey dad, how much money do you make? I would get shut down pretty quick. Be like, no, you don't ask people that question. That's rude. Or we're not talking about that. Um, you know, going on a vacation and I would hear reference to the word like budget, like, okay, we've got, we've budgeted this amount of money for food or gifts or whatever. And I was like, okay, there's a budget. How much is the budget? We'll get shut down again. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I knew some of this stuff was happening in the background, but I was not made privy to any of that information. Um, so I guess I had some stuff modeled for me, but I didn't get many formal lessons in terms of how to manage money. Well, um, some things my parents did really well. Uh, they encouraged me to open a savings account when I was really young. So I had a savings account probably from the age of 11 and I would take any money that I came across. Usually it was a gift of some sort, so a birthday or Christmas or something like that. Um, and I would put that in my savings account and we had a manual uh, book ledger that we would keep track of that. So it was kind of fun to yeah. see how that grew. Um, and then the other, I guess, lesson I got was when I eventually started saying like, I want something like the, the biggest memory I have is a toy train. So this is like a collector's train, like a Lionel metal train set that's costs like 150 bucks, or at least it did back then. And I remember saying to my dad, like, Oh, I really want one of these. And instead of being like, no, you can't have that. Um, or yes, I'll buy it for you. He said, well, sure, but you're going to have to earn your way to pay for that. And you know, for months, I did different chores that um, came with pay. So there was chores I had to do and those chores that came with pay. I focused on the ones that came with pay, earned my way up to um, being able to afford this train set, went and bought it. 
And then like after two weeks, I was bored with it. So <laughs> it was one of my big money lessons, like, okay, you know, probably reconsider your purchases a little bit more, right. but also you can earn your way to whatever you really want. Cool. And I mean, was there some sort of like pivot point in your life of where you kind of became more focused on finance or was it sort of just a gradual transition? Uh, the pivot point would be when I started my big kid job. So I became a teacher, um, about two years into that, my school asked me, was I interested in teaching this personal finance class that the teacher who was doing it was leaving the position. And at the exact same time, my wife was kind of saying, look, um, I've been the leader of the, of our household for money. So she was the money person in our household. Um, she's like, that's a lot of pressure. You have to like manage money for both people. And, um, she didn't want that sole responsibility. She wanted me to learn more. And so at the same time that school thing was happening. So I was like, okay, I'm going to take the subject on. I'm going to learn about money. I'm going to start teaching kids about it too. And that's really when I went on my own personal finance journey. And then my wife also came along too, because even though she knew a lot, there was a lot more to learn. And we really started teaming up in terms of taking control of our finances, paying down our debt and starting to get towards financial independence. Gotcha. Cool. Well, speaking of teaching, I wanted to ask you about as a teacher, like what is your general impression of your students, I guess, understanding of personal finance? Um, I mean, do most students kind of come in knowing a decent amount or is it like they don't know anything and you have to teach them quite a bit? Like what's the, what's the feel there? Personal finance is nice because nobody comes in knowing nothing. Um, everyone at some point in their life, probably from a very young age has started at least handling money, dealing with money. Um, they see it in their lives. So nobody is starting from square one. Um, there's a big range in terms of how much people know. Um, so the start of every school year, I give a financial literacy assessment, and then I give it again at the end, just to see like what our progress was like. We're usually coming in around the high forties, low fifties percent mark at the beginning of the year. And then we'll finish the year in the seventies. So, you know, it's, that's not a national benchmark by any stretch, but at least like, that's what I would consider that a financially literate us adult should know. So they know about half the stuff they need to a little under before they come in and they know about three quarters of it by the time they leave. And my hope is that they're going to keep learning even after our class is over. Right. No, I can definitely like relate to that. I uh, took a personal finance course myself in high school a couple of years ago. Um, and I just remember that was like really beneficial to teaching me sort of like a brief overview of every topic, mm -hmm. but more than anything, it inspired me to kind of go learn more about those things on my own. So that was definitely one of the things that helped me in my personal finance journey. The next thing I wanted to ask you about was uh, something you mentioned in the Sheik's Freaks call, which I found really interesting. Um, and that was like one of the side hustles you did um, of refereeing lacrosse. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So that one, I guess the reason why I side hustle is that when it comes to personal finance, you can earn more, you can spend less. Like those are the two big levers you can pull for creating a gap in your money that allows you to invest more. And that's where the real wealth building happens. Um, cutting expenses, you know, my wife and I, we trimmed down some stuff. We're not super frugal, but we, we're not an extravagant um, household either. So we were kind of at a comfort level. We're like, we don't really want to cut any more out. Um, we feel like we've got our core needs. We've got some wants in there that we really value. Um, but beyond that, there's not much left to cut. So looking to ways to earn more was very attractive. And side hustles are just things that you can do outside of your main job that bring in some extra income. Mm -hmm. And refereeing lacrosse or any other youth sport for that matter is a fantastic side hustle. Um, the hourly pay is 
I think at the time I was doing it, it's about six times more than you can make flipping burgers at McDonald's. Um, you're exercising. Um, you have the ability to do a lot of hours back to back in summer tournaments or fall tournaments or spring tournaments, or if you referee an indoor sport could be a winter tournament. Um, so it was a side hustle that really appealed to me for a lot of different reasons. It never felt like work. I was like running around supporting youth sport. I got into it, um, up when I lived up in Rochester, New York during grad school, the local girls, lacrosse board was looking for new officials. So if you are looking to start girls, lacrosse is one of those sports that actually has a shortage of officials, um, sports like baseball, soccer, I think basketball is probably in there too, are pretty good for officials. There's plenty of people who sign up to do that. There's not as many for girls lacrosse. So you end up getting more work and your boards are able to actually negotiate for higher rates of pay because there is a higher demand for officials. So you need to pay them more supply and demand. We got that. Um, so yeah, refereeing girls lacrosse have been doing that for about nine years now and you know, a good tournament weekend, you're getting paid a dollar a minute and you might do 14 games over a weekend, which could be an hour each. So like you're walking away with quite a chunk of change um, at the end of a weekend and then high school and middle school sport can pay, you know, a high school girls lacrosse game in Maryland pays $72 for one game. And that game is over in about 80 minutes. Wow. That's insane. That sounds like a great side hustle. I might look at myself. Um, All right. So the next thing I wanted to ask you about was choose FI. Um, For those that aren't aware, do you kind of want to share a little bit about what that is and kind of what you guys are trying to accomplish? Sure. Uh, Choose FI. So it's the word choose followed by the letters F and then I. Um, That stands for financial independence. So this was a podcast that was started by two guys down in Richmond, Virginia named uh, Brad and Jonathan. And Jonathan is someone who is already, or sorry, Brad is someone who's already financially independent. Jonathan is someone who is on the path to financial independence. And they teamed up and said, we want to create a podcast that highlights all of the amazing people in this community who know a lot more than we do. Let them tell their story, share their expertise, and we will kind of just be the interviewers. We will crowdsource this information and give it away for free. Um, And that was, I think, five years ago they started. So they're, they're five years into their podcasting journey, and it's grown to be one of the largest personal finance and financial independence podcast by download numbers in the world. And then I work for the nonprofit side called Chooseify Foundation. So this was a branch that they set up to try and spread financial literacy, um, education, information, knowledge, resources to as many underserved communities as we could in the U.S. first and then ideally internationally as well. Cool. Yeah. And let's talk a little bit about like what exactly you do for them now. I know you um, mm-hmm. are working for them kind of as a course curriculum writer, do you kind of want to share a bit, a, a little bit about that? Yeah, that's definitely how we started is, and that's, I guess my official title is curriculum developer at the high school level. Um, but there's three of us on this foundation team and we wear all of the hats. So there is a ton of marketing that goes into this. There's a ton of communications, um, financial management. Um, like we, we do all of it. Um, it started with our pre-K through 12, um, personal finance curriculum. So I created the high school side of that. Um, our other members created the middle school and elementary sides and it's developed now into like the summer, for example, we were running summer webinars every Tuesday night at 8 PM mm-hmm. where we were bringing in guests. We were talking about some financial topic and again, just sharing that information out freely. So it's a wonderful thing to be able to share information for free. And my salary for that is covered through the media side. So Chooseify's like main branch covers our foundation along with a couple of other donors. So yeah, it's a very fortunate position. I find myself in there, but it's very fun. Yeah, that's cool. All right. Um, I wanted to ask you about uh, the simple startup. My understanding is that is a website that you 
um, started that's kind of um, based around the idea of trying to get youth into entrepreneurship. Is that correct? Yeah. So it's, um, it started off with a workbook. I was teaching personal finance. Big part of that for me is entrepreneurship and earning more. So I started creating worksheets and resources to help my students, kind of like a framework that would guide them. It started taking the look of a workbook. So, you know, you've got different units, there's fill in the blanks, there's different questions, prompts, that sort of thing. And I was like, okay, this is something that I think other teachers would find valuable. It would solve a problem for them, which is what any business has to do at its core. It has to solve problems for someone else. And I approached Chooseify because they had just started a publishing branch. And I said, hey, I've got this workbook that's kind of the skeleton's made. It needs some work, but I think it's something that other people would benefit from. Um, and they were interested in publishing it. So we teamed up to publish this workbook. It came out February of 2020, right before COVID um, kind of really kicked into gear. And so it came out. My ideal goal was to approach schools and get this into schools so teachers like me could use it. Um, every teacher's budget pretty much dried up once COVID came in, like all funds were pulled into providing PPE and trying to figure out what on earth was going to happen in the fall. And so I ended up pivoting that summer to be like, okay, every summer camp out there has pretty much been canceled because nothing's happening in person. There's a big gap in the market for kids to have something to do this summer and ideally virtual where they can be safe while doing it. So I said, I was going to create a virtual summer camp. And it would teach 10 to 18 year olds how to start their first business. And it was based around the workbook. So I'd already created the material. I just needed to turn that into a course format and sell it. And I, I did a, a trial run. So I set up an Eventbrite page. So if you're not familiar, Eventbrite is a event scheduling um, website that is totally free to use. So I set up an Eventbrite. I named my price. I said, I was going to do a six week course for I think $80. And I said, if at least 20 people bought this thing, I would make the course and run it. And I ended up selling, I think 60 places on the course. So I was like, okay, we're doing this thing quickly made a very rough course um, where I was like videoing myself in my basement. Um, Every kid got a copy of the workbook. So that was already made easy to do. Um, They got the lessons. And then I created a Google classroom community where we kind of talked to each other. And then I did some live webinars using a free version of zoom. So all very much bootstrap, low cost, um, validate your idea, make sure that it's something people actually want first. Um, the feedback I got was, yes, this is wonderful. I ran a second course that summer, still got the same feedback, ran in the fall, same thing again. So it's like, okay, I've got something that's more than just a, a one hit wonder. People want this, they keep coming back. And so I redid the videos a bit more professionally, paid a bit more money for it, got a better hosting platform. And now every, twice a year, winter and summer, I run these courses where I help 10 to 18 year olds start their very first business. Cool. That's awesome. So I guess I think the appeal to me is like, you could sort of, you've already kind of recorded these epi- or these, um, these videos for the course. And now all you need to do is basically sell these spots twice a year. And then like the course is kind of already, um, or the camp, I guess is already sort of figured out completely. You don't really have much work to do after you sort of filled up the camp. Is that right? Yes. And that's really what I'm looking for in my side hustle ideas. Like I'm looking for something that I can create. I can put a lot of work in upfront and then it's not quite passive. So like passive income would be something you don't have to put any time into. Right. Um, you know, you, you're in that Sheik's Freaks group where real estate investing can sometimes be considered like passive in quotation marks and mm-hmm. whether it actually is or not is a very questionable thing. Mm-hmm. 
but it's something that doesn't require a ton of time on your end in exchange for the value you're going to get back. So yes, by creating a course and putting like doing a, a decent job on it where you can reuse those videos over and over again, you create something that is replicable um, in a very easy way. So like for me, it's just literally a copy paste from one course to create the next one. I have to do a little bit of marketing to sell it. And then I show up for an hour a week to do a live webinar and then keep an eye on a, um, a course community. Like it's very low maintenance now that the hard work has been done. And same thing with the choose I foundation, like creating that curriculum was a ton of work, but now we get to kind of maintain it, build on it, do other stuff with it. And my book that I'm producing, the kid's book, that's another one where you put a lot of work in up front. And once the book is out there, it's out there forever. You just have to kind of keep a, you know, keep a tab on marketing it, make sure that people know about it. They're using it get some feedback, some reviews, but the hard work has been done at this point. Right. I like that a lot. And um, we're actually at Teen Financial Freedom kind of looking at making our own course. So I'm kind of really interested in that. Nice. Um, And so I guess my question is, I mean, how exactly have you structured, I guess, both the Choose FI course, but also um, for these entrepreneurship like summer camps, how have you structured the, the curriculum? I mean, I guess for the entrepreneurship summer camp, is there like, I guess, activities that they're supposed to do each week to kind of take action on what they're learning? Um, is it mostly just knowledge-based? Like what's the idea there? Yeah. So this is not a like hypothetical business thing. Like this is a, we're doing this right now sort of thing. And the way the simple startup is, I guess my core beliefs are you start fast and you start for free. So we're going to try and take that idea, develop it very quickly. So I'll help you come up with an idea. We'll try and flesh out what that idea might look like. And then by like week three, we're building this thing and we're starting to approach people about potentially buying your idea. And then by week six, you should be, you should be running a profitable business by that point. Wow. So yeah, it's, it's not a, let's make a business plan. Let's go find funding. Let's take our sweet time about doing this and make sure that everything is perfect. It is build it and then adjust it based on what your customers are telling you as you go. So when you're doing a course, think about what's the end goal. So what do you want your students to get out of this course? Um, So maybe have like five or six like outcomes that they should achieve and then backward map it to, well, how do we achieve that outcome? What lessons do they need? Um, What points do we need to hit on? What activities would help them achieve that outcome? And there's your structure for your course. It does not need to be a 100 lesson course for your first one. Start small, do a micro course. So like pick even like if you had five outcomes that you would really love to do, maybe pick one do a micro course in that. So it's only like two or three lessons, give it out, see what people think, get their feedback. If they really like it, okay, replicate it for the other points you had. If they have some things they would like to change, like we'd love to see you do more video or less video or more activities, less activities. Can you include some sort of interactive component? And then you can adjust that mini course. And then once you've got it right, scale up to the other ones as well. So don't don't make it such an overwhelming task that you're like, this is going to take forever. And don't create something so big that once you get that first piece of feedback, you're like, oh my goodness, I have to like start again to, to fix this thing. Uh, I love that. That's great advice. And kind of what I had when I tried to make a course for the first time, kind of about um, my freelancing business, I, I had very similar feelings of like being overwhelmed by the entire process and wanting to make something so big and so grand. But mm-hmm. I, I definitely kind of relate to that need to have it be simple initially. And then it goes back to what you're teaching your students about just starting fast and starting free. Um, and just doing it kind of as quickly as you can. So I love that advice. Um, I wanted to ask you about and give you a chance to share about M is for money. 
um, your, your new book that you just, um, is it, has it been launched or is it like in a Kickstarter? What exactly is the status? So uh, MS for Money, kids book, it's for three to eight-year-olds, helps introduce them to different money words and then normalize conversations about money. So this was very much about giving a resource to parents, to teachers, to caregivers that would give them some, I want to say some comfort level in talking to the kids about money. Because for a lot of adults, this is a topic of discomfort. It's one that you did not talk about growing up. There's a little bit of shame, embarrassment, guilt kind of built around it, particularly if you're not doing amazing with your finances right now. It's not exactly a topic you want to bring up around the dinner table when it's like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't make some great choices myself. Mm -hmm. So this book is going to at least introduce kids to some words that maybe they didn't know before they can start spotting in everyday life. Um, They can see some stories about how this word should be used in a positive way. So like, for example, saving or spending or giving or an allowance, like what does that look like in a positive money management situation? And then the parent and child can discuss like some very safe topics around money. Like what would you do if you had some extra money? Where would you save it? How would you like to give some of your money away if you were going to be charitable? And um, it doesn't necessarily have to reflect badly on the adults. And I think that's what a lot of adults are looking for. It's just like, how do I get started? How do I broach this conversation in a way that's going to be productive for kids? So that's the problem I was trying to solve. The stage of the book is we just finished a Kickstarter. And for anyone not familiar with Kickstarter, this is a crowdfunding platform. So you have an idea for a business, for a product, for a service, and you need help bringing it to life. Or in my case, I wanted to make sure people actually wanted this thing. Mm. So you put your idea out there in front of people. So you create a campaign that has like a video where you tell people about your idea. You might have a prototype or some images to show them as well. You have a story behind it, like why you want to create it, what problem it's solving, what the features are going to be. And then you offer people the chance to pre-order it. So in my case, they could pre-order the ebook, the physical book. Um, they could donate books to Title I schools. So I'm trying to donate as many books as possible to Title I schools and public libraries across the country. And I had different reward tiers built into my Kickstarter so that they could donate more or had some like other side stuff. Like they could get stickers, temporary tattoos, uh, bookmarks, bridge magnets, like small gimmicky things that people kind of like to get as a, when you're doing, if you're ever trying to do a charity or donation, um, people like to feel like they're buying something rather than just donating their money. So like they're getting something in return for what they are giving. Um, You'll find that a much easier sell sometimes than just like, Hey, I need money. Can you please give me some? (laughs) So the Kickstarter just ended. We ended up 230 something percent funded. So it raised $13,797. And from that money, I get to go now and say, all right, people actually want this. So 297 people signed up to say, yes, I would like at least one book. And I think I sold 600 and something books throughout this um, campaign, which is way more than I was expecting to do. So I'm like, yes, this is something that people actually want. So now I take that money, I go order the books. So the books haven't been ordered yet. Um, it has been created, which is something that not every Kickstarter will do. So like in my head, I was like, I'm probably going to print this regardless of what happens here. But for some people, it would wait until the end, see if the Kickstarter gets funded. And if it does, then they would create the book and then they would print it and then they would give it out to their backers. Mine's almost done. It's sitting with the illustrator at the moment. We're going back and forth about like text placement and just kind of fine tuning it. Um, so I'd hope by the end of the week, I can put in the order for it to be printed. I'll get it back in about two to three weeks. And then I ship it out to anyone who pre-ordered a copy. And once they all have theirs, I'll probably start a pre-order campaign on Amazon. So that's when it'll become freely available to the public. Cool. That's awesome. 
and just, yeah, I love kind of what you're doing with that. And I think there's a lot of actionable steps for our audience as well. If they've kind of ever thought about any sort of idea that they've had that maybe they don't have the means to necessarily fund it themselves, they could do a very similar Kickstarter campaign to get that funded. So love that. Um, last, or one of the last questions I want to ask you, um, is in regards to your teenage self, what piece of advice would you have, um, if you can go back, you know, to let's say when you were 15, 16 years old, you know, what would be one thing that you would tell yourself? It could be like a piece of um, financial advice. It could be, um, about self-development. It could just be about life in general. Do you kind of have like one or two pieces of advice you'd share with yourself? Yeah. And this is advice that was shared with me, but not until I was in my twenties and I would love to have gotten it back in my teen years. And it's a very simple one. It's a question. And, you know, for anyone listening, I encourage you to try and go through this question with me. And the question was just very straightforward. What do you want? Mm. And you have to think about it. You're like, what do I really want? And like, not just like stuff, like, what do you want your life to look like? What do you want your career to be? Not like, oh, here's the easiest path or here's what all my friends are doing or here's what my parents do. Like, if you were to think about like, what do I really want to do as a career or what accomplishments do I want to try and achieve in my lifetime? Is there um, a business I want to start? Is there a product I want to make? Is there a place I want to travel to? This applies to pretty much anything you want to do, any goal you want to set. What do you want? And then the second part is, what are the steps to getting from where you are to where you want to be? Mm. And it sounds so simple, but until someone actually, like a friend of my dad's stopped me and like said this to me, because I was like going on about, oh, I think I want to be like a professional soccer coach someday, but like, that's impossible. And he was just like, stop me. He's like, well, is that what you want? I was like, yeah. He's like, well, how would you do it? And I had to be like, okay, I'd have to do like my coaching licenses. I'd have to try and get an internship somewhere, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, okay, well, what step can you take right now, tomorrow, next week, next month to help you move towards that goal? And what are the steps to getting there? Because for almost any goal you want, there are steps to getting there and you just have to make those happen. So whether that is wealth, a career, a place you want to go, a project you want to complete, what do you want and how do you get to it? I love that. Yeah. I mean, it's a simple question, but it's also like pretty complex when you stop to think about it. What I heard recently um, was someone said, you got to know what your A, B, Zs are. Um, and, and the way they were explaining that was A is where you are right now. Z is where you want to go. So that's the first part about what you were talking about. Um, and then B is the next step. So you have to know just like, that's where I want to go. And B is the next step I can take right now um, where I am right now in life um, to move me towards that goal. So really love that piece of advice as well. All right, Rob, we are wrapping up our episode here today, but I wanted to give you the chance to shout out any sort of website, YouTube channel. If you just have a place where our listeners can um, A, get connected with you or B, kind of learn more about what you're doing or kind of follow you. Is there any sort of website, YouTube channel, your book, um, anything you'd want to shout out? Sure. Um, so if you want to uh, learn more about anything I talked about today, so say you want to check out like what, what does my course look like or the simple startup, you can go to thesimplestartup.com and you'll find all the information there about um, that business, course, book, that sort of thing. There's a preview of the workbook there if you want to take a look at it and see, okay, what does this look like to create a workbook from something that I know how to do already? Um, if you want to check out my kid's book, it's called M is for money. So if you go to M is for money you'll see all the latest information about that book and what's currently happening with it, where it is in its production process and 
when it's going to be freely available to buy on things like Amazon or Barnes and Noble and so on. Uh, if you want to connect with me, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you go to at M is for money book on Facebook and Instagram, you'll find me. And if you go to at FI educator, you'll find me on Twitter. Sweet. All right, Rob, thank you very much for coming on today. I um, really appreciate you taking the time out of your day and uh, we will um, catch you guys later. Thank you for listening to the Teen Financial Freedom Podcast. We would greatly appreciate it if you could subscribe, leave a review, and share this with someone who needs it.